Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One, and welcome back to another episode of our Box and One podcast. And we're thrilled to welcome back somebody who was on earlier this, uh, maybe a month or so ago, but Stone Hansen, one of the better draft minds out there, somebody who's always involved in what's going on, has his pulse on some deep fringe prospects. And that's really what we're going to dive into today. I think he's one of the few guys out there who always does a good job of identifying those late second round undrafted guys that are really going to hit at the next level. So that's what our focus is going to be on here today. Stone, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us. Tell the people what you got going on. What have you been up to since we last talked? Yeah, I appreciate you having me back on. Uh, It was honored to get a second invite, so I didn't scare you off the first time. Um, I've uh, been doing well. I'm catching up on a lot of film. I've been busy at work recently so I'm trying to play catch up with a lot of games watching a lot um but you know it's been great um I really like this draft cycle there's a lot of interesting guys within it um might not be as top heavy as last year but I think there's a lot of interesting talent uh within the the middle and back end of the range so I'm excited to talk about some of those guys today no doubt and and for those of you who are you know joining us a little bit after the date of, of recording this is Monday December 13th we're probably two days away from the NBA still and a lot of the news in the news cycle with the trade moratoriums being lifted. Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, whoever's going on that front. The Chicago Bulls are basically <laughs> not a team. They have their entire uh, you know, organization essentially in health and safety protocols and just found out that they have two of their next games that are going to be postponed until a later date. So a lot going on in that front. And then here at the Box and One, we just released our top 10 of our first big board iteration about 24 hours ago. So we've talked a little bit about the front end and now we're at the point in the NBA season where things are going to start to be clearer about who's going to be looking for those top end teams. But really one point that's always relevant is looking at those second round sleepers. As we all know, there's a ton of trade movement that goes around with second round picks. So you can be any team in any type of situation and want to maybe take a flyer on somebody who's not quite either a first round talent or garnering that first round consideration. So what Stone and I did is got together and we're each going to choose four prospects that we think are, are really worth talking about as somebody that we should look at and give a lot of consideration to as maybe our favorite guys for that fringe first round, but definitely second round conversation. Some of those really deep sleepers. So Stone, being the guest on the podcast, you're going to go first. Who's the first guy that you want to talk about? Um, well, okay. So my, my first guy is uh, Sambar Moranka. Um, I really don't have a good grasp on how to pronounce his first name, which is probably not a great sign, but um, hopefully by the end of this cycle, I'll get it. Uh, so I've been recently watching a lot of Moranka, and I've become a pretty big fan of him as a sleeper who I don't really think anybody's been talking about. Um, And it's hard for me to sort of get a grasp of why. Um, Obviously, international guys, it's much more difficult to sort of get access to film for um, the wide majority of people. So that may be one reason. Uh, But from what I've seen of him, he's only played, I believe, two games. He's in the uh, Spanish ACB league right now. Um, he has a very quick release. He's, he's 6'10 and like 200 to 10 pounds or so. Uh, so a little on the thinner side. Um, he's got a very quick release though. He moves very fluid, like a wing, um, like a big wing, essentially. Um, he has nice touch around the rim as well. 
uh, especially as a cutter. Um, he's got a really good sense sort of for where his ball handler always is. So he's able to um, position himself in ways that are advantageous to himself and his team. Uh, he has a really good shot, shot, shot selection, excuse me, uh, as well. Um, really plays within himself. I don't think he tries to rush too many times. Um, he's not a very consistent movement shooter. So that is one area I was sort of paying attention to that hopefully um, I'll, I'll monitor as well throughout the season. Hopefully he develops as the season goes on. Um, off ball, he's a very, uh, he struggles a lot as a defender off ball. Um, there's a lot of room for improvement for him in that area. Uh, but he is also, uh, pretty good at using his length on drives. Um, he's able to sort of cut off the, the drive to the basket, the lane, uh, it's more so on straight line drives, uh, but he uses length very well in that area. So, um, he's a sleeper that I don't think many people are talking about, but I've, uh, the more I watch him and the more and more I like him. So, um, I'll be sort of keeping my pulse on him throughout the season. Stone, were you a, a Renz Blindberg guy about a year Absolutely, ago? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> this, this, this screams Renz 2.0 to me. That really big, kind of thin, but toolsy wing. He's about six foot ten, but plays more of a wing than, a, than really a big or a forward. Really skilled away from the basket. What, what I've seen from, from looking at him a little bit is that he's got a really high processing speed. Makes a lot of good decisions, moves the ball well, off ball doesn't stick in his hands can attack closeouts and make plays. You know, you mentioned his shot selection a little bit, it being a plus. I actually think he turns down some good looks and is, you know, more prone to putting the ball on the floor or just moving it along in, in situations when he could be a little bit aggressive. But other than that, there's definitely those tools there, both with his, you know, size and skill portfolio, and then also with the opportunity that he's going to get continuing to play in the, in the ACB. There's a lot of room for him to, to pop by the end of this draft cycle. And I think you're making the smart gamble here on saying, I want to get in on the earlier side of this and, and make sure that, that he's my guy. But yeah, this, this screams Vrenz 2.0. Like if you were a fan of yeah. his six months ago, you're probably going to be a huge fan of Sambor right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, guys who are 6'10 and can shoot and do some on-ball stuff it always intrigues me. So um, I'm a big fan of Moronka and hopefully it pays off by the end of this cycle. Fair enough. Well, I, I'm on the clock next here for kind of that deep sleeper. And for me, I'm going to stay with a European, but somebody who's actually playing ball here in college right now. And that's Zoldis Tubalis at Arizona. No team has been better to start the year in college basketball than the Arizona Wildcats. I think that they've probably positioned themselves to be one of the top two or three teams in the country the next time the poll comes out. And Tubalis has been a huge part of that. 15.8 points, 6.7 rebounds. 2.3 assists per game and only about 26 minutes. They have that two big front court there in Arizona, something that Tommy Lloyd has brought with him from Gonzaga in the way that they play. And it actually fits Tubalisa's game really well. He's a smooth left-handed big who has stretch potential. He's a little bit more mid-range than three right now, only three of 13 on the season. But I love him defensively. He's not going to be that jump out of the gym big man who's a, a pick and roll lob threat or a major shot blocker. He's not going to be switchable one through five and how he moves his feet and, and just has this insane quickness to him. But he's really, really active and he's more mobile than he gets credit for. He's also an, an incredible passer. And that feel for me, if we're talking about guys, and, and I know 
we have our own preferences that usually tend to rely on high processing speed and, and guys who feel the game really well. That's where Tubalese is really strong. He also has one of my favorite traits in, in any type of offensive player, which is somebody who gets to the free throw line a ton. He's crafty. He knows how to draw contact. We saw him play in the, uh, the FIBA World Games this past year with Lithuania, where he did an unbelievable job of being kind of their top option, playing inside and out and creating out of isolations in the, the mid post or with his back to the basket. So I'm a, a big fan of his. Like He's not that traditional pick-and-roll finisher, pick-and-pop shooter, or major rim protector that you get at a five, but he does everything well enough to be able to see minutes there, and I'm really curious if he's the type of player who's going to pop a little bit more in an NBA system because he's not playing next to a true five like he is at Arizona and Christian Coloco. Have you gotten to see the Wildcats play yet this year? Uh, I have. I've seen a few a few Arizona games so far. Um, Tubalis is interesting because generally when you sort of think of those stretch bigs, you don't think of them as uh, maybe like going as much in the paint offensively, more of a finesse type guy from the perimeter. Uh, but Tubalis does a good job of sort of combining both of those styles mm -hmm. where he really does embrace the contact um, and at the same time, um, is able to stretch the floor. Hopefully that extends out to the three over time. Um, defensively too, I, I think uh, there's a lot of hope for him. Um, on ball is a little bit concerning for me just because uh, there's some footwork. Uh, one thing I look for with guys who aren't necessarily super athletic as bigs, a good example of this was like Jeremiah Robinson or last year, um, is the footwork and how they can pre-position themselves to make up for their lack of foot speed when uh, there are some guys on the perimeter that are trying to get through them. Um, and they're able to sort of pre-position themselves so that they don't get burned uh, because they know that they just can't keep up um, with their footwork, their foot speed. Uh, Tubelas, I think, has some room to work and improve on that. Um, <clears throat> but his on-ball defense, like he knows where he needs to be. It's just a matter of his feet don't necessarily always take him there. Um, and then offensively, I feel like he's uh, he's really versatile offensively. Um, th there's inconsistency to me in terms of his touch around the rim, but I think that's something that, you know, as the season goes on, he'll get more comfortable in the offense and he's going to be able to expand upon that a little bit. Um, also, part of the reason I think um, for the misses as a three-point shooter is that he has a bit of a slow release from the perimeter. I think if he sped that up a bit, not comfortable speeding it up, because a lot of the times when you watch a closeout or something on him, he speeds it up and it often leads to a miss. But he's able if he's able to get comfortable um, as a, with a faster release, I think that can really help his efficiency from three. So um, all in all, I've been pretty impressed with Tubelis. Um, and he's got some interesting synergy stats as well. He does. And it, you know what? I think those are all fair points to bring up too. Obviously the foot speed isn't where it's supposed to be for a guy who's going to be playing the four. I mean, I think he's, he's really a five is, yeah. and he needs to be played in drop coverage and kind of blanketed. I know the easy comparison with, you know, a left-handed big from Lithuania is Sabonis. Uh, I think defensively they might have similar types of limitations, but the one thing that I've seen, and, and if you caught the Arizona Illinois game from this last weekend, like, Tabellus is everywhere. He's super active off ball on ball. Like he's not going to be the type of guy that you just stick back there and hide. And he ho-hum stands there and waits for the shot to go up so we can grab a defensive rebound. He's, he's going to work. And that's an area that to me 
is super, super encouraging, even if he doesn't have elite physical tools right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the one thing too, I'd like to see more of a bit because I feel like can really open his game up offensively is, is just more reliance upon his right hand because he, he is very dependent upon that left hand. Um, he's almost like a, a Killian Hayes in big form where they, they only want to do left-handed things. Um, if he can sort of learn to finish with his right hand, because he already has the finishing through contact down at, at points. Um, so if he can learn to do that with his right hand more, it'll, um, I think, sort of just expand upon his versatility. No doubt, no doubt. Deep sleeper for me there. But all right, Stone, let's move on to your number two. Who do you got next? Um, I have I have a really deep sleeper, uh, Charles Bediaco from Alabama. Um, I've liked Bediaco for a while since um, his international play in Canada and then in high school as well. Um, he's very effective from the dunker spot. And offensively, that's about all he is at this point in time. Uh, he's just a, a straight up dunker spot guy he's, he's not going to do much else on that end um but he does it very very well so uh generally i try to stay away from at least the top end of the draft or, or even like in the early second portion from from bigs who don't really have much um outside of rim protection and um you know dunker spot things like like charles Bediaco does but he does it so well that it's starting to make me sort of wonder where I want to place him on my board. I'm not even sure if he'll be a one and done type guy. He may be someone who sticks around throughout this year and, and goes back next year. But um, yeah, this year he's done really well. Uh, he runs the floor really well too offensively for his size. He has those really long strides that he's able to get out and transition. Um, JD Davidson will find him and, and usually it ends up with a really fun dunk with one of those two. Um, defensively, he's pretty much got to be in the paint at all times. You don't want him out on the perimeter really at all. Uh, you, that's just sort of a, a mess waiting to happen. But once he's in the paint, he does a pretty good job of taking up a lot of space. He has that massive wingspan. I don't have the measurement in front of me, but I think it's got to be close to like seven, four or something like that. Um, he's able to <clears throat> protect the rim, uh, at a decent enough level. Uh, he's really good vertically too. Um, I feel like he won't commit. He won't be a foul machine. Like when he immediately goes to the NBA, like a lot of guys with those archetypes usually are, he's pretty good at staying vertical and not getting into too much foul trouble. Um, the one thing I, I would like to see more from him is uh, being able to, to rim protect um, as just the, the main guy, like just the stalwart. He, there's a lot of times where he's sort of a weak side rim protector or he's there just because he, he's working on post-ups. But if he's able to sort of cut off line drives from the perimeter, I think that'll really sort of boost him up my board. Um, offensively, like I said, he's really not much more than a dunker. and He hasn't been for the last couple of years, so I don't see that changing once he gets to the NBA at all. I think he's going to be pretty much just the JaVale McGee type player. Um but, you know, that has value. If, if you're really good at that archetype, like, like JaVale has been, um, then I feel like you have value in, in the at least mid to late second round. So I've been really impressed with them so far. And if folks at home are keeping score, that uh, archetype there is one for your NBA draft bingo cards. So make sure you <laughs> knock that one off as we're playing. Absolutely. Uh, Betty Yaka is a really interesting guy to me. You know, Canadian big man, as you mentioned, true seven footer. He's going to turn 20 in March, so he's not this really young guy. 
as you would typically see for a, you know, a first year player in college, but went to IMG was really impressive there and got a five-star ranking from pretty much every type of recruiting service you could find. Uh, right now he's shooting 68% from the field and has 4.1 blocks per 40 minutes. So he's productive in exactly those two areas that you look for the dunker spot and how he catches and finishes near the rim and in blocking shots when he's able to get there. Like you, I'm impressed by how mobile he is and how he, he runs end to end and is going to be great in an up-tempo system. I think that JaVale McGee is probably the right type of player for him to emulate his game after be really long, understand exactly what your role is and how to fit into it and play with immense energy. And like you said, there's a, a point in time in the second round when those guys become great investments or value finds because it's important to have one of those on your roster and to be able to potentially build somebody for a little bit more is the type of risk that you make. You know, at the very least, you know what you're going to get out of Bediaco. One of the areas that I'm looking for to see if he ever grows, I mean, it's only through nine or 10 games with Alabama, but he has a positive assist turnover ratio. It's nine assists. It's really one a game, but he takes care of the basketball. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes. I think a lot of guys who we think of as being rim runners and above the rim finishers are guys who panic a little bit if they catch the ball outside of 15 feet. And he's at least beyond that level. I don't know if he's a really good creator. Like he's not going to be running delay action anytime in the next year or two, but at the very least, he looks somewhat natural up there to the point where he, I would willingly put him above some other rim running and, and dunking prospects that have that same mold. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that part of that is his processing speed. Um, he's not a great prospect processor by any means, but he's good enough to where you can see how it affects him um, defensively, where he, especially where he's able to uh, sort of quickly switch onto guys that come anywhere inside the paint. Um, and, you know, I, he, he has limited upside, I would say. Uh, but like you were saying, you, you really know what you're getting with Bediaco. There's, there's not much uh, uncertainty with him. You, you know exactly who he is and what he's going to be and bring to your team. So I think that in itself has a bit of value. Um, the other thing about him too is I, I would say um, considering his size, there's, there's a lot of upside for him to at least like come out beyond that sort of four foot mark that he's in, like uh, with that wingspan and with that size, he can sort of go beyond that radius, I would say in terms of a little bit of upside in that regard. Um, but again, he, on pretty much either end, you want him within that five foot radius because outside of it, it it's sort of a disaster at this point in time. Uh, a little bit, but uh, I think he's got a lot of, again, room to improve in, in certain areas, and he's been very functional for a top 15 team in the country to start this year. So uh, time for my second guy, and I am moving from Tucson, Arizona to Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> We're staying with the Wildcats and another sleeper and another international guy, Kirk Rissa. What What an awesome player he is. I mean, so emotional, so fun. And really, really skilled. So he's about six foot three. And for a non-primary ball handler, that tends to be kind of that death trap size where if you don't have amazing wingspan and he doesn't, you get overlooked. But in terms of skill, feel for the game, shot making, competitiveness, being a great, like he brings all of the intangibles to the table. I love guys 
who can shoot it from deep range, both on ball and off ball guys who are great pull-up shooters who can run off screens and just spot up and being able to do all three of those things. Chris has gotten our attention. He also has some of the best assist to turnover numbers in the country. He's reliable. He's crafty in the pick and roll. He knows how to slow himself down and manipulate things. He just makes the right decision and doesn't turn it over. Now with this Arizona team, because they're playing that almost Gonzaga like motion sometimes, and they have a lot more balance because they have really good players in their starting lineup. He hasn't shown a ton of lead guard chops because he doesn't play with the ball in his hands that much. But if you go back to how he was in FIBA games and playing in Europe, he's really good if you, you play him as that lead guard. He averaged 10.5 points and 4.5 assists with Zalgaris in 1920 before coming over to Arizona. And there was some eligibility stuff last year where he had to sit. And he averaged 14 points, four and a half assists with Estonia in the U18 World Games a year or so ago. This is a guy who can really create for himself and others. And again, we mentioned the intangibles. He's competitive. He's the first guy on the floor. He's an unbelievable teammate, just plays with some flair and bounce and swag with him that energizes me as a, as a fan and somebody who's watching. Look, there's always going to be the two worries. One is the size because he's not that big enough really to be a wing. He has to be able to, to play the one for long stretches in the NBA. And then it's the on-ball defense. He's not going to be big enough, strong enough to guard wings, and he might not be quick enough against other point guards. But there is an NBA player in there. I'm convinced of that with his shot making, that just how fun he's fun. I like fun guys. Let's talk about fun guys more and try to move them up the big board. Cause at the end of the day, he just finds a way to make the right play happen. And, and those are guys that I want to reward. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've really been impressed with what I've seen from him. Um, he might end up like a top 40 guy for me, like near the top of my second round. Uh, I, he's, really the the one concern for me is defensively but offensively i've i've got close to no concern with him um he's just such a shifty player uh he uses his shift really well um there are some bad misses at times which is a little bit of a concern as a shooter um generally when you when you talk about guys who are good shooters uh you don't see a whole lot of like clanks off the backboard or air balls or things like that and he has those from time to time but it's not too often um he's really good at offensive screen navigation he's able to use screens especially with arizona's two bigs he's able to use the screens that they provide for him very well and create advantages off of it um he's got really nice touch on floaters and runners uh which obviously from ready guard you you sort of want to see um he's got a really effective step back he i mean he's just got a really wider um, array of offensive, uh, just a great offensive bag. Um, defensively, like I was saying, there's a bit of concern, especially on ball, like you sort of alluded to. Um, the, the problem is he's just too small. I think um, there's a lot of times when he sort of just gets bullied towards the rim or uh, even for how small he is too, he's not just not able to stay in front of guys very well. Um, and that's sort of a concern for me, but again, it's guards and, where you fall on the guard defense uh, spectrum is going to sort of dictate, I think, how you feel about uh, Kerr here. But he, he has got so much offense to give you in, in so many types of ways that I think it sort of uh, overshadows what he can – or it over the defense can get overblown, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So 
Um, offensively, he, he's so good that I just don't really see how he doesn't become a backup at some point in the NBA, uh, an effective backup. Do you have a comparison for a guy like him? Like what type of play style do you see? Uh, guys? I, I don't know if I have one, which is why I ask. Yeah. Uh, generally I'm not a comp guy and I know I threw one out for Betty Ako, but that's just because he only has really two skills. Um, but with, uh, with Kurt, I'm not quite sure. Um, some ele- elements of his game sort of remind me of Trey man from last cycle. Um, not necessarily to that level, but uh, I think that there's some shadows of, of what Trey man was doing last year with Florida. They can sort of carry over to what Kerr is doing this year. Um, one of those being a pick and roll ball handler. Like he is really good as a pick and ball, ball handler. He's in the 96th percentile this year. Um, and if he was given an opportunity to show more of that, I think he would move up more people's boards uh, a bit higher. So uh, I really like guards that can play on and off ball really effectively. And I think Kerr does that. So uh, I, I think I'm going to struggle to have him outside of my top 45 or so by the end of this cycle. There you go. Well, I have him at 53 right now. It feels somewhat low for me because I know how much I like him. But again, we're talking about deeper guys right now, not necessarily those that we're projecting to crack our top 30 and be first rounders that we advocate for, but guys that we believe in, we really like and want to see some teams snatch him up with at least a second round pick. And again, for those of you who are playing NBA draft bingo at home, we've hit archetype. We've hit high processing speed. We've hit high floor prospect. You guys are, are well on your way to getting there by the end of this because we're only halfway through right now. So, Kurt, uh, Stone, you've had two. I've had two here just ending with Kirk Carissa. Who's your third prospect to watch outside of, uh, of the, the top 30 or 45? Um, yeah, so if you've listened to the um, Upside Swings podcast, you've probably heard the name Tom Digbo before. Uh, I am a big fan of Digbo. My colleagues aren't necessarily – that's okay. Uh, they'll learn soon enough. Uh, Digbo, learn, so you teach him. <laughs> I will. I'll try my best. Um, Digbo is somebody that really interests me as a, he's older, he's 21, but again, a lot of the guys we're talking about are, are not necessarily going to be like 18, 19 year old freshmen. Uh, that's why they're in the second round a lot of the time. Um, Digbo, he's got everything, but the shot is, I guess, the best way to simplistically put it. Um, he's an excellent athlete, like an uber athletic guard, uh, who really uses it to his advantage. And that's one thing I sort of was focusing in on last draft cycle, um, was sort of how guys use the gifts that they have. And, and Digbo has the, the gift of uber athleticism. I think he uses it really, really well. Um, he's got an awesome first step that he uses to get by guys. Uh, he's only played one game, I believe against Tasmania so far in the NBL, and, and Stone, can, can we just talk about this? There is a team in the NBL named the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. That's the name of the team. This is, this is fun. This is what I love, we're I love the NBL so far. Uh, I watched them last year more than I had ever. And, and this year, uh, now I'm watching every game that I can. Um, it's but yeah, awesome, Tasmania Jack Jumpers is it? It's an awesome, an awesome league. league. What a great name! And then New Zealand Breakers game. Somebody hits a three, and they have steam <laughs> shooting up to the ceilings. Yeah, watch more NBL, folks. It's so much fun. 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. There's if, if people watch more international games, I think they may have more fun than watching NBA games just because of the atmosphere that they're in. And they um, and the refs don't call fouls. Like it's such yeah. a physical <laughs> league. Like there's got yeah. I know Mitch Creek a couple nights ago had a massive dunk and they someone oh, came yeah. down and just forearmed him Dele, in the Dele, back. Matthew Delavadova, yeah. He's yeah, Delly yeah. just got right in it. And the refs are like well, kind of stepping oh, yeah. in there a little bit and letting things kind of settle on their own. Like it's a fun league. Yeah, they they love physicality down there for sure. Um, and I think that sort of helps Digbo in a sense because he's so athletic that if he's able to sh- sort of pop in that atmosphere, that I think it can really help him um, to to set himself apart. Uh, <clears throat> he's got a pretty good instinct for for ball movement too. Usually, it doesn't stick with him too long. Um, but again, it's just the shot. It hasn't really been there for a while. And at 21 years of age, you sort of have diminished hopes in terms of, you know, if it's ever going to come. Uh, but if you can still get a guy that's that athletic, that does so many other things well, then I think you have to sort of take a chance of on him near the end of the second. Um, he's also a pretty good, like secondary creator, I would say. Um, probably not somebody that you want running your offense or as a primary initiator or anything, because he's just not that level of guard, but he is able to take advantage of already shifted defense or shift them a bit himself, just not necessarily make super advanced passes outside of that. Um, so I've really liked him. Uh, he's only played again, one game in the NBL, but I believe he played in Lithuania the season before, and I watched a couple of games of him there. Um, Shout out to his dad. He's active on Twitter. Uh, always, always supporting his son. Um, that's awesome. But yeah, I'm a big Digbo fan, and I think that teams should look at him near the end of the second because he's not really getting a whole lot of buzz right now. Well, Stone, you're the guy that that turned me on to Digbo and and just got me looking into him a little bit. He was in the Barcelona academy when he was younger. Played at other spots in Europe, and now he's over in the NBL. I'm gonna give you guys a little bit of a insight into how we do some scouting sometimes one of the things that i like to do if i have the opportunity to discover a prospect for the first time is i try to look at passing finishing and ball handling clips first before i see a jump shot and try to discover what their dominant hand is and that's really the easiest way for me to know whether they utilize it too much because if you see somebody shoot and they're right-handed now all of a sudden you're predisposed to looking at the way that they drive and saying, Oh, he's right-handed because he's going that way. And I know that because I've already seen him shoot. So I watched Digbo for the first time trying to figure out what hand was his dominant one. And and maybe took 10, 12, 14 clips before I could figure out that he's left-handed. Yeah. That stands out a lot to me. It's just one of those small areas. Maybe it's the coaching background in me, but I really like guys who are comfortable using both hands. And Mm -hmm. that's an area that, I at least identified him being impressed with him. I don't know about the shot. I think you're right on in saying if his physicality and athleticism pops in the NBL, he's going to be a really good NBA level athlete. If he ever gets the opportunity to come over, I think that there's maybe even a little bit of like a, an undersized Tayshawn Prince to his game where he's super long and, and decently athletic and defense. Well, does a lot of things but he's not necessarily a great shooter, a great ball handler or playmaker. He does enough offensively to, you know, fill in the pieces, finish and attack closeouts, but he's not a a primary or secondary guy. Yeah. um, And I I don't think uh, a lot of these guys that we're going to be talking about necessarily are guys that are going to be in that sort of role. 
Uh, and Digbo is, is definitely just fine, you know, as that guy that attacks closeouts, if he's good enough defensively to, to just be like that fifth guy on the court offensively, but still um, be effective. You know, that we talk a lot about one, two, and three type guys uh, offensively, but um, those fourth and fifth guys, they are important in helping those, those first, second, and third options sort of get their looks and play their role in that as glue guys. Uh, and I think Digbo does that well. Um, he's also, like you were saying, he finishes very well. Um, and he's able, I think, to to get in advantageous areas to finish because of how athletic he is. Like that propels him a lot in terms of why he's able to finish so efficiently. So um, the, the pairing of, you know, versatile finishing and uber athleticism is always uh, an awesome combo to have. So I've been uh, a big fan of Digbo for a while, and hopefully he gets an increased role uh, with the, I believe he's on Brisbane. Um, yeah, Brisbane, Brisbane Bullets. Bullets. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully he gets an increased role with them as the season goes on. Well, and, and you brought up those fourth and fifth options on offense. And, and dare I add another NBA draft bingo term to us, a connector <laughs> piece. You know, yeah. a guy not necessarily going to have the ball in his hands a ton, but when it is there, he makes the right decision, can attack closeouts, hit shots. You know, Franz Wagner is probably the best connector piece that we have right now. And he's been so good with the Magic that they've grown his role into becoming a second or, or you know, tertiary type of playmaker. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting prospect. Again, you're the guy who turned me on to him. I'm not sure where I am yet. I don't have him inside my top 100 at this point. Haven't seen enough to really justify putting him there. But what I have seen, yeah, there, there are definite tools for, uh, for sure. He's, he's a guy worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, definitely. So number three for me, and I promise, folks, uh, there are receipts to back up that this is not just a new fad based on a uh, recent performance or two. But I've got Ron Harper Jr. as an important sleeper for me. And there's so many reasons for it. But if you go back to last year's NBA draft cycle, when, when RHJ was thinking about declaring, we had him initially ranked in our top 40. He was a guy that we were really high on a year ago. And when he came back to school, there was one, not necessarily knock on him, but one area that he needed to perfect in order to become somebody who we keep in that top 40 or top 45 range. And that's three-point accuracy, making sure that he's knocking them down consistently and frequently. And guess what? Right now, he's up to 40.8% on five attempts per game from three. He's just got a massive frame and body. He's six foot six with a near seven foot wingspan, and he looks like an absolute truck. He is so hard to stop when he gets downhill. He can guard so many different positions. He might be one of those one through five guys who ends up doing a little bit defensively like P.J. Tucker. Now, he's nowhere near the defender that Tucker is right now, both in terms of his kind of on-ball competitiveness and his, his IQ and, and positioning off-ball. But with his physical you know, stature and what he's able to do on that end, I think that there's potential for him to grow into that type of role. He's a contact magnet. He can create for himself. He's good in the mid-range and in late clock situations. To me, he looked like the best player on the floor when Rutgers beat Purdue on last Friday night. I know that Jaden Ivey is the best prospect out there, but to me, Ron Harper Jr. looked like the best player that night. And, and look, you mentioned it earlier, at later points in the second round, you're not necessarily drafting for primary options or guys that you think are going to be those that you build around. You want versatility. 
You want guys who slide into roles and who are able to be your fourth or fifth option. To me, I'd love to have somebody who's you know, multi-positional defensively, can play the three or four and is versatile and has a decent amount of upside to them offensively. And that's where Harper is for me. So, you know, we got to see the, the shooting and the finishing both stay at really high levels. Last year, the finishing was great. The shooting was a little low. This year, that's inverted a little bit. But with his pedigree, his physical frame, and, and just the multitude of tools that he has in his, in his bag, I'm a huge fan of his and, and want him to wind up somewhere on draft night. Yeah, um, I watched a bit of Ron Harper Jr. last year, probably not as much as I, I wish I could have. And I've seen, I believe, like two games or so this year. Um, so not a huge sample size on Ron Harper Jr. for me. But from what I have seen, um, he's a really good, tough shot maker, uh, which we all love. Um, I, I think both draft nerds and, and people, just casual fans in general, everybody loves a, a nice, tough shot. Um, he uh, is another guy that oddly enough does have some just like bad misses, um, yeah. like, like, uh, Carissa, where there, there's just, um, things that kind of clink off the backboard or, or really short ones I've noticed a few times as well. Um, but they're sort of becoming more far and few in between. Um, he's got really deep range too on his threes. He's able to sort of, um, you know, shoot from five, six, eight feet out of the three point line. Um, which deep range is always, especially nowadays, you know, sort of encouraged. Um, he can post up too with that big frame, he uses it really well. Like I was saying earlier, I really like guys who use the gifts that they have uh, at a high level and, and Harper Jr. does take advantage of this bigger frame. Um, he's able to post up. Usually they end up in fadeaways. I think I would like him to see, get, see him get a little bit closer to the basket for more like layups and tip-ins and things like that uh, with that frame. Um, in the half court, I guess my my biggest concern is just the burst with him. Um, he is a bigger guy, so he, he can create for himself at the collegiate level. I just have some concerns once he gets to the NBA level, how effective he'll be in sort of getting to the rim uh, and finishing for himself because uh, right now it, it he does sort of struggle as it is, um, keeping guys on his hips and things like that. Uh, just because of his bigger frame, he's not able to get that first step on guys uh, very consistently. Um, he has a really good movement shooter though. Um, that's something that I've noticed is he's able to come off screens and pin downs and curls, uh, and really get his shot off efficiently and effectively. So that's always something, you know, we love for shooters. Um, and, and also, I'll oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say guys who have great movement shooting skills and are able to do so coming away from the basket that it's hip movement and hip mobility that mm -hmm. allows them to do that. And when you're that size and yeah. you have hip mobility, like that is that's rare to me just with his kind of, for lack of a better term, girth, like he's, he's, yeah. he's a big guy oh, yeah. to, to do that and turn his hips and be so natural and fluid with it. Gives me a lot of hope that he's going to have enough craftiness and, and just natural flexibility to be able to negate some of the issues about the first step. Yeah. Um, and I think some of that also plays into a little bit of concern for me defensively. Uh, if he's guarding quicker guards, he's just going to get blown by, I think, at this point in time. Um, so I think he's probably best utilized sort of as a against bigger wings or like power wings, uh, really using his strength to his advantage rather than trying to keep up with like burstier guards. Um, he can probably even play, you know, as small ball bigs um, at times as well because of just how big he is uh, and, and girth, like he said. Um, he also, I think, 
has pretty good touch too, like in the mid range. Um, has some floaters, uh, flashes of that. That's that's really interesting and just sort of, you know, fuels your optimism for him as a shooter. I think. Uh, but yeah, I, overall, I'm I would say I'm probably not super high on Ron Harper Jr. Um, but I can definitely see like where his value comes from, and I think that is you know, what, what people want to see. Like if you, we were talking about with Betty Aka, if you have like a defined sort of role um, and you can clearly see how someone translates to the NBA, then I think that in of in and of itself has some value within it. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, all right, Stone, we're on to our last guy each. Give me your best shot here. Who's the last guy you want to talk about? Uh, I did save the best for last. Um, <laughs> I have Anton Watson for me. Um, if you, have followed me for any length of time or, or listen to the upside swings podcast, then you will know that my ideal archetype are the Jeremiah Robinson Earl type guys who just are extremely smart, have an exceptional feel for the game. Um, aren't super athletic, but use that, that um, supreme feel of the game to sort of negate that. So, and that's exactly what Anton Watson is. Um, not a super athlete, but uses that extraordinary feel for the game to his advantage in a variety of ways. Um, he's like 6'10", I would say, uh, probably a power forward slash center, um, can really sort of play either. And I think Gonzaga has done a good job of sort of playing him in both as a power forward and center with all the bigs that they've had coming in recently. Um, you know, this year, I think he's getting a little bit less time just because Chet is now in the the fold so he's getting a little less playing time but um you know when he is on the court i think he's an excellent decision maker uh really high processing speed as a big uh there's even times where he's uh at the point of attack uh which is really interesting as a guy that's that big uh, and he's able to get a steal and go out and transition and go coast to coast because he's a fluid enough ball handler to do so um i just really like a lot of what watson brings he's one of those guys that's got a lot of skills that he's good at, not really great at any one thing. Um, and those are always the type of guys that I, I genuinely love, as you've seen with Digbo already. Um, so I, I really like what he does. He's a bit older. I think he's 21 now, uh, might be 22 by draft night. I'm not quite sure, but uh, he's got good touch around the rim. He's showing flashes of being able to stretch out a bit. Um, not sure, you know, how much of him being relegated is, due to him not being comfortable and how much is just the Gonzaga scheme. But uh, he did, has shown flashes of being able to at least be a consistent mid-range shooter. Uh, maybe there's room for optimism to stretch out to three a little bit on low volume. Um, but I really liked what he can do uh, the past couple of years. I liked him in high school as well. Uh, I just think that Gonzaga has sort of hindered him in some ways just because they're so deep uh, with their big man rotation the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up Jeremiah Robinson Earl because that was another guy I was super, super high on. And, you know, when, when you brought up Anton Watson and brought up that comparison of the two, that kind of I'm struggling to see that one a little bit for a couple of reasons. One, you know, I definitely thought Robinson Earl was going to be able to shoot the three pointer at the NBA level. Oh, yeah. uh, he was a good catch and shoot guy at Villanova. He put up good numbers last year. Pick and pops were a little bit different of a story with his momentum moving away from the basket, but his role was going to be more spot up than anything at the NBA level, which yeah. made me comfortable in projecting that JRE was going to be able to shoot. 
I'm not so sure about that with Watson. He's five of 35 career from deep. And yeah, he is okay touching the mid range right now, but the numbers just aren't there. And, and that's an area that for me kind of scares me away from taking somebody who's already going to have three years of experience under his belt in college. If he's not continuing to improve it because he stays, you know, maybe one of 11, one of 12, pretty much every single year, I'm not exactly sure how much uh, I can bank on him getting better in that area, but the feel is fantastic. 2.8 assists per game and only 16 minutes a night playing a big position. He makes incredible decisions. He does have that high processing speed and that feel for the game that is really, really attractive. I think I might be over to be willing to overlook the shooting a little bit more if I felt comfortable slotting him somewhere defensively. And again, with Robinson Earl, I knew he was going to be a pristine defender at the four because his footwork is great. He's better laterally than I think he got credit for. And he's super, super, super smart. Really good yeah. with angles. I think Watson is similarly solid with angles, but not quite as pristine with his footwork. Great at mastering, um, you know, maximizing his athletic tools, so to speak. And that, again, gives me a little bit more pause, where if it was only one of the defense or the shooting, I would probably be able to get on board and say, this is a guy I want to continue to monitor for a, a late second round or, a, you know, one of my priority undrafted free agent signings. With both of those being concerns and it being year three at Gonzaga, uh, that's one of those things that just leads me to not hop on the bandwagon right now. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, they're definitely – him and JRE are, are different players. I think the more the comparison I was making is just the exceptional feel that they both have. And, you know, sure. neither of them are, are super athletic, and I think they sort of make up for it with their feel, obviously in different ways. Um, I, too, was, like, pretty in on Robinson Earl as a shooter. Um, I don't think Anton Watson ever gets to that level. And, you know, like I said, I think he can be an effective shooter just on very low volume, maybe on, like, one or two attempts a game. Um, if it comes to fruition, but I don't think he's quite, you know, the Jeremiah Robinson Earl level guy or prospect even because I had JRE like in the twenties uh, last year. I don't, I don't think Anton Watson's going to crack my first round, but um, I, I think, you know, just guys that have really high feel like that are, are usually bets I'm willing to take. Um, and if they don't pan out, they don't pan out, but um, near the end of the second, I feel like that's a bet worth making. And generally, I prioritize those sort of guys over maybe like a uber athletic guy that doesn't have much feel, um, just because I think those high field guys can generally figure out how to uh, positively affect the game um, when, you know, push comes to shove. So he, he's not necessarily the um, the prospect that JRE was in a lot of different ways because he's just not as advanced as a shooter. He doesn't have that footwork. Um but he's able to affect the game, you know, as you were saying, as a passer, but also as a defender, too, just in other ways at JRE, where he's able to sort of preposition himself, like I was saying, similar to JRE, but not necessarily with footwork, more just sort of placing his body in the right spot. So um, over the years, I've, you know, obviously dropped on Watson. I think I had him like top 30 when he was in high school. And since then, he's, he's fallen quite a bit of ways from that. But I still think he's a guy worth monitoring and worth looking at near the end of the second because uh, he's just got such an exceptional feel for the game. Sure. Uh, certainly getting a feel for the type of players that you like, Stone. You <laughs> love high feel and versatility. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's time for our last guy here, and we're going deep. I mean, this is, this is a guy that I'm not sure is on many mainstream 
boards right now. But uh, Hao Wen Guo for the Shanghai Sharks. And, and I first really got to see him play and, and pop a little bit more when he came over to the NBA Draft G League Combine last year. And I was impressed by what we saw with him because he was super competitive, wasn't backing down from any of the challenges. You know, he's a legit six, seven or six, eight with about a neutral wingspan. Doesn't have a great first step, but he was not deterred from going at guys, being fairly physical. He knocks down shots with a beautiful stroke and it, it has a high release. So look, there's, there's no doubt kind of who he is or, or who he isn't, right? He's not a great athlete. He's not going to blow past a ton of guys. He's a high-level shot maker, and I think has shown a little bit more off the, the bounce and, and creating for himself than you might think for somebody of his athletic profile. But overall, and how he's been this year since seeing him at that G League Combine, he's just a good scorer, man. Uh, in November, he had 39 points on 18 shots, which is ridiculous. He's averaged 18 on basically 50, 40, 85 splits, which, I mean, he's just a really talented shooter and a guy who's doing so and, and carrying the mantle for them. I think he's an underrated passer. He's, he's good when he's, he's aggressive, keeps his eyes up and finds cutters near the basket. He loves the spin move, which, you know, I guess the Pascal Siakam special of having somebody who just wants to put guys in a blender. Um, the stroke is really smooth. And that's first and foremost, what you're attracted to. If you love, you know, those high field guys who might not be elite athletes. I love guys who can shoot at a pretty much any position. And that's why Guo ends up being somebody that we want to keep our, our eyes on. You know, I'm not sure if he's going to get drafted. I think he's probably a little bit more of an undrafted free agent type of signing. Somebody you bring over for the summer league, work your way through in training camp and try to develop and just see how he handles the athleticism of the NBA game consistently. But first instincts from what we saw in the G league combine. Now he's continued to be one of the best, if not the best player on the floor every night over in China. We're fans. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to lie. The only time I have seen Guo is at the combine. Um, I generally don't watch too much CBA. So the fact that he got a combine invite and I hadn't heard of him, I think sort of speaks to the talent that he is because I don't think a lot of guys really get direct combine invites from the CBA. Uh, so for him to be able to pop to that level, I think um, sort of speaks to him as a player. Um, what I did see from him in the combine, again, this is just the combine. So it's very limited sample size. Um, he seemed, he, like you said, had that very high, beautiful release that, that rainbow shot you're talking about, um, seemed like a little bit reckless in terms of, uh, driving on ball. Uh, there are a lot of times where I was impressed with how he got past the defense and into the lane. Uh, I was just sort of left questioning sort of what he does after that, because there are sometimes he seemed a bit like a bull in the China shop where he just wants to get to the lane so quickly that he doesn't necessarily have time to plan out what he wants to do once he gets there. Um, but again, this is just the combine. So it's not much of a sample size, if at all. Um, you know, maybe it's just that, that one period. Um, yeah, well, he looks more natural in the CBA. And I think that that's kind of the hope right now is that he gets used to NBA style competition, physicality, length on the floor with him. And that second level decision-making starts to catch up because it's definitely there when he plays against guys who he's on that athletic tier on. Yeah. Uh, I think he mentally probably rushed himself because it's his first time really playing against that yeah. level of athlete and competition. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's, it's tough to really have too much of a grasp on somebody just based on the combine. 
So I don't want to try and, you know, speak out of turn and, and try and project myself like I know more than I do. But um, I think, well, you know, from that, just purely off the combine was interesting. Uh, I would like to watch more CBA. I just, I frankly don't have the time to watch every league in the world. Like I wish I could. Um, if I did this full time, I definitely would be watching the CBA more, um, you know, but uh, once sort of I'm able to find more time and the, the draft cycle is in full swing, I think I'll, I'll start watching a bit more Glow games because he did impress me a little bit on the combine. It's just, unfortunately, that's all I have to go on at this point in time. Fair enough. Well, Stone, before we get you out of here, two quick questions. And these are kind of the potpourri for the evening, or as my fiance would call them, potpourri. Um, Jaden Hardy or Peyton Watson, who you got right now? Oh, boy. Uh, I would say Peyton Watson, and I know that's going to surprise some people, but um, I came into the year actually with some high hopes for Hardy. He's just not been a great decision maker for me. And with Watson, um, you know, he hasn't had a great season either, but a young guy with the tools that he has is just really, really enticing. And I think UCLA is just sort of a bad fit for him in, uh, in a lot of, in a lot of different ways. And I think with um, Hardy, he sort of has like every opportunity that he can get in the G league. And it's just, I don't think, have necessarily been what we had hoped in terms of a decision maker on both ends. So I'm going to go Watson, but, um, you know, both have sort of disappointed, I think so far. Yeah, both definitely have. And, and for some reason I'm still in on both. I have both of them ranked in my top 12 on, on the most recent big board that went out and Hardy's still number five for me. So I'm, uh, I'm not ready to sell my stock yet. I'm clinging to it, knowing that it's starting to take a nosedive. But uh, I'm, I'm still on the bandwagon. But all right. Question number two for you. Fill in the blank. The next time Ben Simmons plays basketball, he will be wearing a blank jersey. Oh, boy. That's uh, I mean, that's our, our friend chucking darts likes to say, throw your dart and chuck it. And I, I sort of feel like I'm just throwing my dart randomly at a dartboard and hoping it sticks. I'm with the with the latest report that came up. This morning, I'm going to be home or in, say, the Lakers. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea how it happens, no idea what would it what it would entail, but um, I just want to see him in a Lakers uniform, so I'm going to say Lakers. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Stone, I know Upside Swings, you're, you guys are doing a fantastic job over there, but let the people know what else you got going on, what's coming out soon, where can we find your work? Yeah, um, I, we took a little bit of a hiatus for Upside Swings, but we came back this week with an episode um, and we're hoping we have a lot of fun episodes planned for the upcoming weeks, a lot of content actually. So probably a good two, three episodes a week coming out in the near future. Um, and especially as the season cranks up too, we'll start doing our uh, 30 podcasts and 30 day series um, talking about how, uh, you know, each uh, team, what, what prospect each team could look at. Um, and then, I have some articles in the works uh, for a couple of places, both at Rise Network and um, Roll Call Sports that I've been working on for a while. And, you know, once I get uh, on my Christmas vacation, hopefully I'll finish them. So uh, those, that's sort of what's in the works right now. Um, you know, and if you want to stay up to date, you can follow me at report underscore court on Twitter uh, and the Upside Swings podcast at Upside Swings. Fantastic. And, and Stone Lee, you hit the nail on the head there. You guys are, are doing 
unbelievable work and a lot of it that, that's going to be coming out soon. We can't wait to listen. We recommend that for all of our folks. And it is the Christmas and the holiday season. So in that spirit, the one thing we want for Christmas this year is hashtag ban the take foul. Make sure we ban the take foul by this time next year. But Stone, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody, thank you so much for, for tuning in. We'll come back with another episode next week to talk about the NBA draft. But for now, make sure you follow Stone on Twitter and at Upside Swings. Thanks so much, Stone. Thank you.